Good morning, Castleton Church family. So good to be with you this morning. Let's begin our time as we turn our attention to God's word with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this passage that you have given to us for our good. Would you help us to consider not just our own consciences, but the consciences of our fellow Christians. Make us into the type of church that reflects your beauty and your selfless love. Would you help us by your spirit, even as we hear your word preached, to be correcting our own, in our own hearts and minds that which is most important and that which is central to the kingdom's priorities. We ask your help, Jesus. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. This morning we are in Romans chapter 14, starting in verses 13 all the way through 15.3. And we're in this series on our core value of biblical unity in diversity. It's a four-week series. Last week we began it, and we looked at the importance of considering your conscience when it comes to the unity of the church. We talked a little bit about how your conscience is given to you by God as a gift, it is your sense of what is right and wrong, your internal compass that God gives you to keep you from sinning. But that conscience has limits. It could be miscalibrated. You could be mistaken. And so there are many things that a Christian has to consider when it comes to their own conscience within a fellowship with other sinners with differently calibrated consciences. Well, well this week, we turn our attention not just from looking at your own conscience, but toward others to looking at how you must consider the conscience of your fellow Christians for there to be unity in the body of Christ. You can say it this way. Unity requires a willingness to relinquish our rights for the sake of the body. Unity requires a willingness to relinquish our rights for the sake of the body. That's what we'll see with four principles related to Christian conscience from this passage in Romans 14 and 15. Uh, the four principles are as follows. First, we'll see we need to avoid being a source of stumbling. Avoid being a source of stumbling in verses 13 through 16 and verses 20 through 21. Second, we'll see we need to keep kingdom priorities as paramount. Keep kingdom priorities as paramount in verses 17 through 19. Third, we need to live with a clear conscience. Live with a clear conscience in 22 through 23. And then fourth, and finally, we need to relinquish our rights like the selfless Savior. Relinquish our rights like the selfless, selfless Savior in verses uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Uh, let's begin in that first section. Avoid being a source of stumbling, verses 13 through 16 and 20 through 21. Uh, if you were with us last week, you rem might remember that we were in the midst of a good old-fashioned church fight. The two contestants were off in their corners. And in the red corner, you had the Jewish Christians, those who had just come out of Judaism and had extra rules in their consciences that they had not yet worked out with their freedom in Christ. They had issues related to eating non-kosher meat and what days of the week they had to keep as holy. And they had trouble being judgmental 
towards the Gentile Christians who didn't keep the same rules. They were saying things like, wow, they really must not care much about holiness if they are so careless with what they eat. In the blue corner, we had the Gentile Christians. They never had those extra rules in their consciences and felt no need to do anything beyond what God required. And so they were being prideful and even despising the the Jewish Christians by flagrantly exercising their freedom. They were proudly declaring, like at Arby's, we have the meats, and not thinking much about what it was doing to the Jews. Now, in the midst of this church fight, we see Paul wading in as a referee, trying to keep these two uh, keep these two contestants away from each other. And uh, he continues that work now, showing them in verse 13 how to avoid tripping another Christian into a trap. Verse 13, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. The instruction there in verse 13 is the main point of this whole passage. Don't cause another Christian to stumble, to fall, to fail in their faith by you exercising your freedom. That picture there is one of someone who doesn't know that there's a hole in the ground or doesn't see something and trips and falls. So often in the Bible, the way you walk is related is a, an image for the manner of your life in faithfulness to God. So to trip or to fall is for your faith to fail. It is for someone to fall into a spiritual trap. What we see here is that it's very possible for a Christian to exercise their freedom in such a way that it actually causes another Christian's faith to fail. How is that possible? Well, there's at least two ways you can see from this passage. The first, it's possible to scandalize the conscience. It's possible to so offend another Christian because you're breaking a rule in their conscience that they walk away from the faith altogether. You can see that in verses 14 and 15. Paul says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Paul finally reveals which side of this dispute he is on. He he is persuaded that the Gentiles are right. There is no requirement to keep these food laws. And yet, even as he does so, Paul is careful to avoid grieving, or another way you could say it, scandalizing those who have consciences bound differently. He realizes that these Jewish Christians are baby Christians. They're brand new in the faith. And it's quite possible that they could see a Gentile Christian doing this thing that is perfectly fine in their own conscience, and yet, in that moment... This baby Christian is so scandalized by what they're seeing, they come to the conclusion, if that's what Christianity is all about, I don't want anything to do with it. 
See, there's no time for these Christians to mature into calibrating their consciences. There's no time for them to hear through gentle conversation and instruction that there is, in fact, no sin here. And so as a result, they see flagrant sin and they think that Christianity must mean being sinful. And so they would simply say, I don't want anything to do with that. So that's the first way you could cause someone to fall into a spiritual trap would be to scandalize their conscience. There's a second way though, all the way down in verse 23, and that's by compelling their conscience. Compelling their conscience. You might say forcing them into something they're not ready to do. In verse 23, he says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, we'll come into this section a little deeper in a bit, but for now, it's very important to realize that if someone disobeys their conscience, that they do something that they believe to be a sin, even if at the end of the day, that thing is not a sin, the fact that they believe it to be a sin is in fact a sin, God gave us consciences, and he intends for us to follow them. And when we disobey those consciences knowingly, when we just disregard them, we in fact are disregarding God's command to us to obey our conscience. And that means a Christian can cause another Christian to stumble by talking them into doing something they are not yet fully convinced is right to do. You see, the issue is not just what we do. It's why we do it. It's not just what we do, it's why we do it. Are we doing it because we're, cons- we're, we're convinced that it's something God is pleased with? Or are we doing it because someone is just applying enough social pressure to us, to peer pressure us into something? We need to be very careful to leave time for fellow Christians to come to convictions, to calibrate their consciences on these disputable matters. And we need to be very careful that we do not become a source of stumbling by, our, uh, by, uh, by not considering what it is that uh, these brothers and sisters have in their own consciences. Now, I wonder, brothers and sisters, have you considered the fact that you could very easily cause another Christian to sin in something that you feel no guilt about whatsoever? I mean, Paul uses the words that are this strong, that you could possibly destroy the one for whom Christ died. Just stop for a second. Feel the weight of that. I hope you, I hope you want that to be something that could be never be true of you. That just by callous disregard or by being too forceful, that you might actually destroy the faith of another Christian over something that's disputable, that really doesn't matter. Now, and realize it's not really that hard to do this. Very often we do this even without knowing that's what we were doing. One time I was on a mission trip and I had just uh, in a, had taken a seminary class about different types of literature and I uh, had brought with me a book that I had wanted to read. It was in the genre of fantasy. It had wizards and magic and things like that in it. Well, on this mission trip, there was someone who thought reading books like that was inappropriate for a Christian. They saw me reading this book at a moment that they thought was extremely important spiritually, which it was. 
a point where we are on the front lines of the spiritual warfare going on in the global church, which it was. And they saw me doing something they thought was a sin, and they got very upset about it. Now, I didn't think it was reasonable that they were upset about it. I, I was convinced in my heart, in my mind, in my conscience, that this was a perfectly fine thing for a Christian to do. And yet, my, in my callous disregard for their conscience, I caused a great stumbling block. It took a good portion of the trip for them to get over that scene they saw of me sitting there reading this book. If I could go back and do it over again, I would love to just read that book by myself in my hotel room and not do it in front of them. Because doing so, even though I felt, like I still feel that I have perfectly had the right as a Christian to do so, caused a great stumbling block. Brothers and sisters, I, I hope you would desire to avoid putting any sort of spiritual trap in front of another Christian. But there's a big question. How do you actually do that? How can you have the sort of instincts that don't lead you to cause a stumbling block and instead build up the body? Well, that brings us to our second point, which we see in verses 17 through 19. The second principle, keep kingdom priorities as paramount. Keep kingdom priorities as paramount. In verse 17, Paul gives the grounds for this command. That is, he gives the uh, the, the footing that we can use for such a heavy lift. He says this in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of, of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. How is it that you can avoid from setting up stumbling blocks? Well, one of the most important things is to remember that the kingdom of God is not about these disputable matters. It's not about these matters of conscience. See, one of the mistakes we fall into is thinking because we are strongly convinced of something that it must be of great importance. And if we're not careful, very easily, we lose sight of the main things for things that are less important. What are the main things? We're going to send a, spend a, a, an entire sermon on this next week. So in some sense, come back. But for now, it's enough to say the shorthand. Oh, one thing you can say for sure is part of the main thing are the things that are central to discipleship. The things that are central to living with Jesus and living for Jesus. Righteousness. Living a holy life like the righteousness that he has given you. Peace. Living at peace with God and at peace with other people. Joy. Joy in all things by God's Holy Spirit in your heart directing you and, and pushing you further and further in obedience to Jesus. One thing you can ask yourself is, am I exercising the main things of the Christian life? And if so, can't I be open-handed about the other things in it? Those disputable matters? I mean, the, by focusing on the main things, look at what Paul says happens. In verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is, ex, uh, is acceptable to God and approved by men. You're, you're both right with God and you're one of those people that it's almost impossible to pick a fight with. Even further than that, look what it does to the body of Christ. In verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. It results in harmony in the body of Christ. Every 
piece of the body of Christ working together, it results in spiritual flourishing instead of spiritual destruction. Now, there's a lot that needs to be said about what is part of the main thing and what are these disputable matters. Again, come back next week to find out a lot more of that. But for now, a quick diagnostic we can all ask ourselves. Are we spending the bulk of our time as Christians in the areas that are undoubtedly central to discipleship? How much of your time goes to prayer and Bible reading? and fellowship with other Christians, and and service within the church? How much time do you spend in evangelizing? All, All these things that are right at the center of what it means to be a disciple. Ask yourself, are my priorities the priorities of the kingdom? If you have a church full of people that have the kingdom's priorities, there are far fewer fights on these disagreeable matters. Well, these first two principles have been addressing the strong. That is, those who have freedom to exercise, the, those who have freedom to uh, not follow rules that are not actually explicitly required in the Bible. But this third principle has to do with the weak. Those who do have extra rules in their consciences. The third principle in verses 22 through 23 Live with a clear conscience. Live with a clear conscience. In verse 22, Paul says, The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. One of the most important principles to have in place to guard against uh, a new form of legalism is what Paul lays out right here. Those who have extra rules in their conscience are not supposed to try and exert control over other Christians. No, they should just try and have enough room to be able to live with a clear conscience. Paul isn't saying that any Christian who feels strongly about a rule gets to write the, rec- the, the rule book for all other Christians. No, he's saying that all Christians should endeavor to live with their consciences clear, to, to live as if they, before God, can say, honestly, as far as I know, I am not living in sin. Now, there's two implications that be drawn from this. The first is that there should be an attempt to observe our consciences in private as primary. Do you notice that he says that the faith that you have, to keep that between you and God? This is Paul saying, if it's possible, exercise your conscience that's bound in this area. Exercise that your obedience to this rule in private. You don't have to broadcast the fact that you think it's important to keep the Sabbath day in a certain way to other Christians. You don't have to broadcast the fact that you don't think watching certain television shows is appropriate for a Christian. What matters is that you do it. And do it in the privacy of your own home or or do it in an arena with as few people watching as possible, but do it because what matters is at the end of the day that you, before God, have a clear conscience. Now, it's not possible to do all matters of conscience privately, but many of them can be, with a little bit of work, lived out in such a way that our consciences are clear 
and other Christians aren't burdened by these rules in our consciences. So that's the first principle there. The, the second one is one that's applicable to all Christians. Whether you're weak or strong, you need to realize that obeying your conscience is not optional. Obeying your conscience is not optional. If there's a rule in your conscience, if you believe something is forbidden for a Christian, it is not an option for you to simply disobey your conscience. No, the only way you can do that thing is if you take the time to calibrate your conscience and you feel the freedom to do so without violating it. Notice how Paul says there's great blessing for those who do this work. He says, uh, the faith you have, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Brothers and sisters, do you realize it is a great blessing when you do not feel guilty about one of these disputable matters? When before God, you do not have that gnawing sense that you've been doing something wrong. That is a, a wonderful blessing, and it is worth the effort of foregoing, engaging in certain activities, even if other Christians feel free to do them. It's worth missing out on being part of a conversation if you feel like you cannot partake of certain media that other Christians feel fine doing so. It is worth the effort because living with a clear conscience is such a great blessing to your Christian walk. It'll allow you to live in joy, It'll give you greater confidence when you have to make a decision on the spot about what is allowable or not. It'll make you more, more peaceful and loving to other Christians if you exercise this well. It's not optional. Because when you go the other side of it, we're expressly told it is sin. God's told you, you, you need to listen to your conscience. And when you don't, you are actually breaking down the defenses God has built into your mind and heart to keep you from sinning in the future. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing to get in the habit of disobeying your conscience. Martin Luther understood this. He was a Christian that loved Christian liberty, famously brewing beer in his basement. And yet he said this at one of the most pivotal moments in his Christian life, as he was standing up at the Diet of Worms, he said, I cannot and will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither safe nor right. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. Brothers and sisters, may that be true of us. May we be the sorts of people that will listen to our conscience, that we will obey it even even if it costs us something. Students, peer pressure is one of the enemies of conscience. It is very tempting to hedge on things you don't believe to actually be okay, just so that you will look good in front of your friends or have some sort of social acceptance. But, but students, it is never the right thing to disobey that warning of your conscience. If you find yourself in a place where you're with a group of other, other teenagers or young people and they're trying to convince you to do something you don't feel right about, have confidence. God's word tells you, you should not do whatever that thing is. Pay whatever price it takes to keep your conscience clear. 
for all of us as Christians, we need to have this sort of a robust, even dogged pursuit of keeping our consciences clear. It, it can be very inconvenient at times. It, it can make us lose friends at times. But, but brothers and sisters, it is, is worth it. The blessings of conscience are so great. The commands in Scripture are so clear that we must listen to the consciences God has given us. Now, that doesn't mean we don't need to calibrate our consciences. But realize it does take time to do so. Very rarely does that happen quickly. And until our consciences are calibrated to do differently, we should obey them, knowing that this is uh, how God intends for his people to live. Now, at the same time, we need to also remember we're not to try and control others with our conscience. Just because on a particular disputable matter we feel strongly, that doesn't mean we should try to get other Christians to do the same. And, and remember that principle. If we can do it in private, let's keep it there. Uh, it's actually a, a beautiful thing when you see a Christian that believes something very strongly, but who also works very hard not to burden other Christians with the same conviction. Uh, I heard of a, an elder and of a church who believe very strongly that Christians should really love the Old Testament festivals and holy days and things. and So much so that he would, uh, with his family every year, celebrate the uh, various feasts and festivals. So, for example, he would build a booth for the festival of booths. Now, he thought it was something that he should do, and he did think that other Christians should come to the same conclusion, but he understood that it would be a stumbling block to require that of even members that are under his shepherding care. So he built that booth each year in the privacy of his backyard. Now he did invite anyone that wanted to come, they were welcome to come join him. But imagine how different it would be if one day he showed up with his hammer and nails and wood and he built the booth on the front lawn of the church. That is a church fight just waiting to happen. See, brothers and sisters, as far as it's able to us, let's keep these matters private. What matters is a clear conscience between us and God. And if we can do that, out of the view of other Christians, then all the better. But let's recognize that that's not always possible. Some of these disputable matters of conviction are things that have to do with our relationships with other Christians or how we even engage in worship as a church. What do you do when your conscience is bound with something that you can't keep private. Well, that brings us to this final section. Relinquish your rights like the selfless Savior. Relinquish your rights like the selfless Savior. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. This is mainly aimed toward the strong, those who have less rules in their consciences, Paul says very strongly, very directly, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. It's a hard enough thing to say that we should not cause a stumbling block to another believer, but, but there's a, yet an even higher standard that Paul is putting in front of the Christian's they are to actually go so far as to willingly relinquish their rights for the sake of fellow Christians. They are to think more of pleasing others in their body of Christ than for pleasing themselves. Now let's be frank. 
Our church is in the United States of America, a place that is known for prizing liberty, exercising our rights. It may seem very foreign to have here, to have the idea of relinquishing rights willingly as something we are being urged to. You may be thinking to yourself, who in the world does what Paul is saying right here? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Because Paul says the man's name is Jesus Christ. Look in verse 3. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Using a quotation from Psalm 69, Paul turns his attention to one of the most beautiful things about the Savior. His selflessness in all things. He points his attention to how Jesus endured so many things that he did not, by rights, need to endure. He endured slander. He endured rejection. He endured dishonor, violence, injustice. You could continue naming all sorts of things that Jesus took on himself that he did not deserve. Or what about the list of things that he did deserve that he gave up? Riches, all the riches of heaven. Comfort. Even the right to remain in the land of the living. Jesus gave and gave. He, he gave up his own honor for all, the, uh, his own honor that was his from eternity past. He gave up safety. He gave up his very life. And he did it all willingly for the joy set before him. He did it all for the sake of his bride that he would buy with his own blood. Brothers and sisters, what we see here is the example of Jesus relinquishing his rights is the pattern we are to follow in relinquishing our own rights for the sake of other Christians. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I wonder, is there anyone in your life that you think of as this type of selfless? Someone that sacrifices again and again, gives up right after right for your sake. Has there been anyone in your life that has loved you really, really well, even though it costs them greatly? I hope you have someone in your life like that. But realize even the best spouse or the best parent or the best friend, the most selfless among us are nothing compared to this man, Jesus Christ. We believe that he was the one that God sent from heaven itself. That he didn't deserve anything wrong to happen to him, and yet he endured an unjust death on a Roman cross. And he did all of that out of love and for the joy of seeing others benefited, for bringing the blessings of forgiveness of sins and eternal life to people who don't deserve it. We Christians don't follow Jesus just because the Bible says we have to. We follow Jesus because he is selflessly given up so much more than we could ever give back to him. And, and friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't know the joy of being loved like that, uh, my prayer is that today would be the first day where you would experience that. If you don't know how to do that, you can find a Christian friend, ask them, how is it that I can experience the love of Jesus? They'd be glad to tell you how you can do that. Now, for all of us Christians, let's remember that not only was our Savior crucified, but he calls us to be crucified along with him. 
to pick up our crosses, deny ourselves, and follow him. And that means even in matters where we feel very strongly, even where we feel like we have the freedom or the right to do a certain thing, that we need to be willing to take on the pain, to bear the burdens of those who are weak in a matter of conscience. It's a painful and a beautiful thing when a Christian willingly, willingly foregoes their own interest for the sake of another Christian whose conscience is bound in a matter. You know, it's a hard, hard thing. Let's, not, let's be frank about it. It's a hard thing to do this, to learn to love a musical style that's frankly not your favorite. It's a hard thing to go to a dinner party and to abstain from having a drink with alcohol in it, even if you think it's fine for the sake of another Christian. It's a, it's a hard thing to hold back when, when you hear a comment that you really strongly disagree with, but when you think there's no way I can enter in this discussion without starting a fight, that, that is a hard thing to hold your tongue. And yet, as hard as all of those things are, it's worth it because it displays the beauty of Jesus when we give up our own rights, when we relinquish them for the good of others. When people see us joyfully saying, you know, that's not the way that I would prefer it to be done. I, I don't think I have to endure this, but for your sake, brother, I, uh, th that's fine. Let's do it your way. When people see that sort of open-handedness, even on these things where we have convictions on, brothers and sisters, it shows us how amazing Jesus is. It, it preaches to a watching world that Jesus must be amazing, that we would relinquish things so near and dear to us. So brothers and sisters, I hope you are resolved that if you are able, that you would relinquish your rights as a Christian if that's what it takes to keep a stumbling block from being in front of another Christian. That you would love your fellow church members so much that you would put up with things that you might think are unnecessary or even a little silly if that's what it takes for them to be able to worship God with a clear conscience. It's a painful thing to give up our rights like that, but it causes such great blessing in the body of Christ and it's essential for church unity. Now, one of the areas where this has been playing out is undoubtedly with masks when it comes to worship. Now, I know that there are many brothers and sisters that feel the freedom to not wear masks. And unlike brothers and sisters like me, who our consciences won't allow us at this moment, in this season, to be without a mask inside, there, there are brothers and sisters who don't, who don't frankly think that's necessary. The, the fact that you would put up with that, that you would release your right to not wear a mask so that others can worship Jesus together, that, that shows the beauty of Jesus. I know it's uncomfortable. I, I know it's it's hard, but it reflects the selflessness of our Savior, and it's worth it for the good of the body of Christ. We all will, not, will have to face situations like this, whether it's during this season or the ones to come. For over 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ has been again and again finding ways to bear each other's burdens and relinquish their rights so that Christians can remain in unity and fellowship. 
So ask yourself the, the question, am I willing to relinquish my right on a disputable matter, matter? If that will keep a stumbling block out of the way of my fellow Christian. Our brother Martin Luther is a great example for us on this. He understood Christian liberty and was a champion of it, and yet he also was willing to be very careful when it came to matters of conscience. Speaking to these matters, he said this. He said, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. And a Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. Brothers and sisters, would we be those who have the mind of Christ on this matter? I pray that with the Lord's help, where we are able, that we would relinquish our rights, that our church would be, remain, would be able to remain unified on these disputable matters, and in so doing, as we joyfully give our rights up, that people would see a little glimpse of our great Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, thank you for giving up your rights to come down and rescue sinners like us. Thank you for giving us an example of grace without end, of willing, a willingness to give and give and give for the good of others so that we might have all the motivation necessary to make the comparatively small sacrifices for the sake of your body. I pray you would help us as a church to do this. Grant us love for each other. Help us to have an awareness when we might accidentally even set up a stumbling block for another Christian. And Lord, would you help us to honor you in the way we put each other ahead of our own interests. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the things that you have granted us. Grant us unity in these trying days. We pray in your mighty name. Amen.